We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. The baseball season is go, go, go. It's nonstop, relentless for every night, six straight months, and then hopefully another month in October. You also have work, friends, family, and a million other things going on. That's when you reach for a Coors Light. It's made to chill. There's only one beer out there that's literally made to chill, and that's Coors Light. I mean, the mountains on the bottles and cans even turn blue when your beer is cold. Is there anything better than opening up your refrigerator after a long day, seeing that icy cold Coors Light can or bottle in your fridge? The answer is no, there's nothing better. That's why when it's time to chill, you choose Coors Light. It's mountain cold refreshment made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So that's why when you want to hit reset, reach for a beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. And as always, celebrate. What's up, everyone? Welcome to the Bronx Pinstripe Show, episode 290. This is Christmas Eve as it's being released. Scott, Merry Christmas. Are you in the holiday spirit? I'm trying to be. I'm really <laughs> trying to get in the holiday spirit. We're, we're uh, recording this a couple of days early because I'm going to be traveling. Uh, but once again, my wife, who's the kindergarten teacher, brought home some, uh, some awesome bugs to the family. And the, pretty much our entire household was, uh, was, was hunched over a toilet at some point today or this week. And nailed me on Friday. So we're all trying to like re- regroup and get back into it. Lots of holiday music, lots of like Christmas music, old school, just to get our minds right and see if we can get back into this thing. So we're, we're getting there. I feel like teachers, especially kindergarten teachers, must have some of the strongest immune systems out there because they're just exposed. It's like they are these scientists who are experimenting with like diseases back in the eighties, like during the cold war, like that's the type of shit that they're exposed to. So their immune systems must be pretty strong. 
Well, I think the majority of them are, but the problem with with my wife Bevan is that she was in uh, she was working at like their central office for a while, and she went back to the classroom uh, so that she could spend more time with Kemp during the day. So she's back to the classroom as like a newbie almost. So I think the mm-hmm. immune system has has you know taken a couple of years off, and it's like, oh, all right, I can hang out now, right. and then get thrown back into the kindergarten. They're like, boom, overload, and she's there's new mutations now. Yeah, she's been out yeah. of the game for a few years, and, and yeah, some things exactly. Have, some things have evolved. And, and we're all, we're all really, um, you know, reaping the benefits of this. So, but the, uh, I think it takes a while for that immune system to take, to get built up. So, you know, by the time she's no longer teaching kindergarten again, she'll be good. Yeah. That's uh, so kindergarten teachers, the scientists, and also riding the subway in New York city. Those, those are the three places yeah. where you can really build up that immune system. But, but, um, have you, uh, so you're going up to Jersey for the holidays, right? See some family. We'll be, we will be in Jersey and uh, in New York for about uh, two weeks, give or take, and yeah, doing, uh, doing all sorts of fun things, hanging out with, with, uh, with the family. It'll be a big difference. Last year, we were obviously, you know, with Kemp, we were in the hospital up in Boston, um, so this will be a big difference, and Kemp will be able to uh, spend Christmas out with his cousins, and so hopefully we all uh, heal up today and we can hit the road, so we're looking forward to it. It's going to be a lot of fun. Very good. Speaking of hitting the road, March 15th and 16th, St. Patrick's Day weekend in Tampa for Yankee Spring Training. We are locked in for that weekend. We, uh, you tweeted out some information about the game event that we're going to be doing on Saturday. Some people have DM'd you that are interested. We have like 40-ish tickets for that. Yeah, uh, we, we have... We, we could probably get some more of that, but we're probably limited to close to 50. Uh, that's, that's probably where we're going to be capping it, uh, I'd say, around there. Um, we have uh, about 30 to 35 people who are, are said to be getting tickets right now. So we're, we're approaching that deadline. So it's, it's going to be one of those things where we kind of just have to um, see how many they have available. Um, and I'm, I'm just purchasing, you know, as many tickets as I think uh, people want to go. So right now we're about 35 to 50. Uh, if we need to expand it, we might be able to go a little bit higher, but it's not going to go too much higher, I can tell you. So if you are interested in going to spring training and that date works out for you, it, it's a great time to go because the Yankees play the Red Sox on that Friday and then they have uh, another home game, which will do the event on Saturday. Uh, so there's a back to back. The, um, days in Tampa, and there's not very many of those, so it's a good weekend to go. Plus, it's St. Patrick's Day weekend, so a lot of fun things happening uh, with uh, with you know everything going on in Tampa. It's a good good weekend to do it. So if you are if you do want to go, um, shoot me a DM or shoot us an email. You can info at bronxpinstripes.com. Uh, but I wouldn't wait because tickets will not be around very long. You excited to drink some green beer? T- Dude, I've retired from green beer. I've retired <laughs> well, from green it's beer. It's just regular yeah. Bud Light with food coloring. You know that. Yeah, but you know what? It makes you you go to you go to the bathroom and you're you're like shitting camouflage at that point. It's it, lo- <laughs> it looks I, I can't handle it anymore. So no, I'll just go with like a, a a nice stout. I don't normally drink stouts, but I will on St. Patrick's Day. Okay, uh, and uh, a r- quick rundown of the BP Crew regular season events. We have five events this year. Yep, they are April thirteenth versus the White Sox. May 31st versus the Red Sox. That's a Friday game. That's the only Friday game that we'll be doing. The rest are Saturday. June 22nd versus the Astros. July 20th versus the Colorado Rockies. And then August 31st, which is against the Oakland Athletics. And all really good games. Um, who knows what the White Sox look like by that point. Uh, it could be a nice offensive day for the Yankees. Or uh, it could be a slugfest. Who knows? Uh, and then the rest of them are all going to be you know, contended. Uh, to contended games for sure. So lot, lots of uh, lots of good matchups. And, you know, we have, again, we have a lot of tickets available for that. We're sitting in Section 205. Um, these will be on sale and are on sale 
uh, very early this year. So they will, you want to make your plans and we're having a, uh, if you want to get a, a season pass for all of these games that will also be available. So uh, make plans for that. The regular season games don't go on sale for Yankees uh, for another couple of weeks. So yeah, maybe the White Sox will have Manny Machado. He was one of the teams that it's possible uh, that he met with. Um, well, you and know, it's funny because he, cause he actually talked about he talked about the fact that he's not making his decision now, right? Until until the after end the new year, or until the after the year, which which gives what? It gives uh, Alonzo more time to talk him into going to the White Sox, Sp- spending time with family. His brother in law now plays for the White Sox. Yep, a lot of, a lot of things know, happening there. Unless that those talks involve three hundred plus million dollars, I don't think the White Sox are really in contention. I'm just saying he's got he's got more time now more time money's going to talk to talk him into it. Um, Also, uh, we've been uh, teasing it for a couple weeks now, but today on the uh, back half of this episode is the Joe Torre curveballs along the way movie review that we did a crossover episode with the Take Two podcast. Uh, We had the A Rod Thirty for Thirty movie review a few weeks ago. Um, So check this one out if you have watched or even if you have not watched. It's a nice little memory. Uh, trip down memory lane of the 96 season. Um, fun movie, uh, funny movie for all the wrong reasons. So I encourage you to check it out. All right. The big news, Manny Machado and the Yankees met on Wednesday and that sent Yankees Twitter into a buzz. Yeah. A frenzy, if you will. It's almost, it's actually, I don't think it was as big of a frenzy as it was when Corbin was here, probably because Corbin was the first one. Uh, and, and, you know, we have the same picture up on the, uh, the stadium. It's so dumb. I find it so dumb. <laughs> it's, like it's, it's as it's if like a the free whole... agent who is going to be signing for hundreds of millions of dollars is going to be swayed because their frigging face is photoshopped into that team's uniform on the jumbo. It's, it's not the fact that they're swayed. It's almost one of the standard things you have to do now. It's just, this is what it would look like. This is how everything is. It's just a way for them to um, immerse themselves in the situation. Coming up to bat, Manny Machado. I bet they had the whole thing going. And then you got your face up there. It's, you know, it's just part of the process. It's not like it's a, it's a, a thing that's going to sway them. So you know, did they have like the PA announcer from Yankee Stadium record something? Now batting for the Yankees, number 13, Manny Machado. You think they'd give him number 13? See, that? I don't think they would. I don't think, I don't think would. they would either. Unless A-Rod said... I have, I have no problem with it, but I don't, I don't think they would. Well, unless A-Rod said... Because well, you know A-Rod's probably going to get his number retired at some point. Maybe. Maybe. If, if they'll, they'll keep him around long enough. It's possible. I mean, there's been a lot of numbers retired, so certainly it's, it's, uh, it's very possible. They're going to have to go to triple digits. Yeah. The, uh, but I think it's just part of, the, part of the process, getting him in there. And yeah, the, I guarantee we had, we had some live people in there. It wasn't even just recordings. We had, we had PA. Uh, everything was live. We're just going to do all this stuff. We're going give to him, give him the full treatment and see what happens. But again, 90 minutes, right? Yeah, people were freaking, freaking out. Maybe not signing him. 90 minutes. Yeah. <laughs> Why was it so short? He met with the White Sox all day. What the hell? I mean, he also yeah. did go out to dinner. Apparently, the dinner lasted three plus hours. Uh, Beltron was there, the newest Yankee special advisor. I don't think A-Rod was there. Um, but, uh, CC was there during the day, right? That's, that's what we had heard was he was at the facilities when, mm-hmm. when Machado was there. So there's, there's a, a bunch about that. And the fact that CC was conveniently there and I know he works out there during the off season as well. And, you know, with the news coming up, maybe he was there to see uh, a doctor or something. See sort. the doctors. I, he probably was to be honest. Yeah. But there's, um, you know, the, the fact that it was 90 minutes means absolutely nothing to me. Look, no. the Yankees and Machado really don't have much to say to each other that's new. 
we all they they know each other very well. The Yankees know Machado very well from his days in uh, Baltimore, obviously, and then vice versa. Many Machado knows damn well who the Yankees are and everything that that comes with Yankee Stadium. He's played there a ton of times, so there's not much to uh, to be gained as far as new information. Right. So, what do you think was discussed in those ninety minutes? I think it was more of let's shake some hands, let's make some some like real introductions, uh, some some formal introductions. Show him, uh, you know, a, a tour of the facility, a tour of all the things that he would be, you know, um, uh, that he would use. Probably go on the field and just see some of the uh, some of the new things with the pictures and all that crap. Uh, but I think it was just very general. Probably, I, I doubt they even talked any numbers. I think it was more of like a, uh, you know, we we're interested in you. Uh, we're interested in this in the whole process, and and then we'll talk about it more at dinner, which is a less formal setting. Which I think you can get meet, know somebody a lot more informally, which usually goes further, in my opinion. Well, so I mean, maybe numbers weren't discussed in that ninety-minute meeting, but I'm right. I guarantee you, numbers have been discussed between the two teams at this point, especially because Machado said he's not making his decision until after the new year. So that, that must mean he has some idea of what each team is going to offer, whether it's years or total dollars. So I do think that there were numbers discussed at some point, but you know, in that 90 minute meeting, I have a hard time believing that they, they even really, no, there's no situation where Cashman is writing a number on a piece of paper and sliding. That's not happening in that 90 minute meeting. So I, I think the agent and, and uh, Cashman have probably had discussions even before this uh, and, and, you know, maybe after this. But there were this this 90 minute meeting is all about Machado and the Yankees and, and them saying, you know, we're very interested, uh, uh, you know, identifying possibly what the, how they would use him if he were to come over. I, I could see that being talked about, um, you know, with the whole DD situation, because that's very much on the, uh, the, the front of the conversation. Where are you going to play? Um, but I think the rest of it, you know, is, is more about, hey, we're the Yankees. We want to win. Uh, we think you'll help us win. And that's, you know, set, set the stage for that type of uh, thing. Because if they're not going to be the highest bidder, which it sounds like they may not be, you need, to set, you need to sell everything else. You need to sell the Yankees. And the fact that, you know, you're in New York, you can also make a ton of money off the field. I'm sure things like that were talked about. So, you know, I, I think uh, more of a general scene setting was, was, was uh, the, the direction of that meeting. Is that really, though, I have a hard time, especially like a player like Machado, who's going to be signing for 250 plus million dollars. Is the whole endorsements off the field, the whole publicity thing, like how much does that play a factor at that point? It should play a major factor. That's, that's a significant amount of money. But he can do, these- he can do these, these endorsements, whether he's in New York or whether like endorsements now, you don't need to be in New York to do endorsements. No, that's true. But there's also a whole bunch of stuff that comes with New York. There are certain cities that I think it does matter. Uh, but yes, you're right. The, the whole well, general right. with landscape. Robbie Cano going to Seattle, like Seattle's yeah. not New York. We figured that but out. But the whole general you know, landscape of, of, of having a, an endorsement and, and getting because of social media and because of the reach of, of digital today, it doesn't matter as much where you are. But there are certain cities like Chicago, New York, L.A., uh, you know, Miami, probably there. I think they do make a difference because you could do a lot locally as well. You could do so, a lot of, of revenue for the player locally, too. Yes. And in a city. So the cities that he met with Philly and Chicago, both big baseball towns, both love the White Sox and, and the Phillies. He would be the man on those teams. He would be the main attraction. He will not be the main attraction on the Yankees. Do you he he would probably be third or second? What, what, Once, if you're not if you're not first, it doesn't matter. 
Right. right? And judges your collection. First. We learned yeah, judges, judges first. the number one. When Stanton came over here, it was, well, who's going to be the man, Stanton or Judge? It's clearly Aaron Judge. It's his yes. team. It's not even a question. Right. So does Machado care about that? That's the question. I mean, we don't know. I think we, I think we don't know, right? I don't think anybody knows. Everybody, people could speculate on how the guy acts. Um, I mean, there's been so much uh, tearing down Manny Machado over the past six months because, or three months. Since the World months, Series. Because of his comments and, and all this, you know, yep. things that were taken, um, you know, as they were in the moment and, and people just blew up with them. I, I personally don't think that's, that's who he is as a player. We've never really heard much of that before. Um, this World Series. So I think things were just kind of blown up. And, you know, I, I got nothing. Nothing from that guy is telling me that he's not a team guy. Uh, and, I, and again, I'm not looking at gen, just small little sample size things. I'm looking at the entire scope of who Manny Machado is. And for as long as we've known him, we've known he's a great baseball player. Uh, at third base when he was with the Orioles for the most time, he's probably the best, if not one of top two or three best third basemen in, in the game. And We've never really heard any problems with him at all off the field. So no, I, I kind of dismiss the rest of it. Every story that's come out about him being a teammate has been positive. Yes. Teammate, teammates yes. like him. And Buck Walter has talked on the radio. I listened to a segment he did with Michael Kay, and he said that he never had an issue with Machado in the clubhouse. And that the whole hustling down to first base thing or whatever is something, yes, you're going to have to deal with Machado, but he also is durable and he plays 160 plus games. Yeah, whatever. I don't know. I, I just, I have a hard time taking, it's like, uh, you know, you throw out the low and you throw out the high and you just take the mean. And what is that? The majority of the things that we've seen is him being a very good baseball player all over the field and uh, a good dude off the field. I mean, even the most recent article that I read about him and Jonathan Scope when, when Scope got traded. <laughs> you know, I mean, up. Machado, he called him up. He went over there. He went over to his house. And, and you know, he takes – it seems like he takes time and, and has personal relationships with a lot of these guys. I mean, look, how many of the Yankees were generally courting him at the All-Star break, essentially? You saw all the pictures in the, <laughs> in the All-Star the dugout. The yeah, Judge got the thing on, the, on third base. That was from spring um, training. Was the Judge thing last spring training where he said Machado would look good in pinstripes? It was early in the season. I don't think it was during spring training. I thought it was early in the season. I, I think okay. it was one of the uh, the early April matchups. But then at the All Star break, you know, the pictures of of all the guys on the All Star team for the Yankees sitting around Machado, like you know, he's there's no problem there. I don't know why everybody is. I, I tweeted that out. I said I said the uh, the, the, the 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 thought that he is um, a, a problem in a. A clubhouse and that he's going to be an issue and because of all these the you know the fact that he doesn't hustle like that whole theory and and narrative is actually the lazy narrative because you're not you're going you're not going beyond one thing that he said or two things that he said look at the whole body of work that's where the true story is um maybe part of that 90 minute meeting was talking to, to trying to gauge how he would handle not being the main attraction on the team Maybe, but I don't know if you want to sell that in a meeting where you're trying to sign somebody. You're not, well, but part of this stuff for, for Cashman and the Steinbrenners, when they're going to be spending so much money on a player, you have to do your due diligence. You have to try and understand how that player is going to react to the environment. You're not going to invest almost $300 million in somebody if you do not think they're going to be a success in your organization. And they have to be realistic about it. They have Aaron Judge, who is the their most marketable and most beloved player. That's not yeah. going to change as long as he is on the field. Doesn't matter Manny Machado, Bryce Harper. Doesn't matter who they bring in. 
They could bring in Mike Trout. I'm serious. Aaron Judd would still be more popular because he's the homegrown, homegrown guy. No, you're right. And, and you know, that's an interesting uh, thought. I think to put that out in the front, I could see Cashman doing that now that you're now that we're talking about it, just being very blunt and honest. Like, this is the situation. This is where we are. This is what we've seen. We brought over a MVP from the National League and he still couldn't, uh, you know, hold Aaron Judge's jockstrap at that point. So that's just in the, the fans situation. in the fans eyes, in the fans eyes. Right. That's just that's, the situation. That's a major factor. And um, it could be. And as far as the numbers go, I really do think that it, the money's going to be doing the talking. And if the Yankees are a competitive offer, they may, maybe don't have to offer the most, but they have to be very close to the top offer. He will probably sign with them. Now, Curry tweeted out that he does not expect the Yankees to go over eight years. Um, I don't know if that's going to get it done because I do think the Phillies or the White Sox, who are more desperate for a Manny Machado-type player, would be willing to go 10 years. And if the difference is... Mm-hmm. Two years and $60 million guaranteed if he's getting that $30 million AAV, I don't think he's going to get walk away from that. He's going to kind of be like A-Rod was in 2000. He's going to take the dollars. So it's interesting because it's really going to come down to how these contracts are structured too because everybody looks at 10, 10 years, 8 years, uh, and those might be the deciding factors. Well, you know, because of all of the... Um, the flexibility that, that have been in a lot of these long-term contracts lately with opt-outs and uh, backloading and front-loading and, you know, all of these different things that, that are ways to maneuver around, you know, whether it's a luxury tax or, or trying to, um, you know, protect the, the club or protect the player for certain situations. It's going to be, it's going to be interesting how it's done because even an eight year versus a 10 year deal, if the Yankees were to, and, and you know, we've talked about this in the past and I know it's come up in our um, Facebook group discussions uh, w- with the, the, you know, the whole community and Facebook about the difference between, you know, a, a shorter term contract for Manny Machado and a much higher dollar value versus the longer term contract and still a high value, but not as high, but you're front loading everything. Whereas you can make a 10 year contract and, and build it to essentially uh, a four to five year contract with a, a player opt out at some point and front loading the deal. So right. it'll just be interesting to see how it's laid out because I think the Yankees can offer the most money per year. I just don't think they're going to offer the most years uh, for the whole contract. That's, that's just how I, I see it. And, and to me, like if I'm Manny Machado, I do that because at that point I'm betting on myself with a lot of money in the front that's guaranteed. And if I do perform, then you know what? I have an opt out and I can do this all again. Right. The opt out. So what the, let's just take 10 years and $300 million as the framework of the deal. But if you front load the first five years of it for 40 million a year and the second uh, five years of it for 20 million a year with a player opt out in the middle of it, Machado might be enticed to opt out because he could, he'll be 31 years old still. That's a 31 is like kind of the average age for a major free agent because Machado is the rarity where he came in the league at such a young age. 26, 27 years old is not your normal free agent. That's why we're talking about these kind of uh, numbers for him. But if he opts out at 31, having banked all that money already, he could sign another eight-year deal. So he might opt out, and then the Yankees get him for the five years and then let him walk, or it might backfire like with the A-Rod thing and they re-sign him because Machado has the upper hand or whatever. You don't know. You can, you can play that scenario out down the line. But I could see a contract like that maybe being something the Yankees will do. Yeah, and I think that, I mean, you're talking about a backfire with A-Rod, but they had the option whether they were going to or not. It was an opportunity to, to not re-sign or to sign. So you're, you're putting yourself in a position at least where you have another decision. 
And, uh, you know, for, for that, like when you're looking at a, a long-term contract and you're backloading it, you're, there's two different things that I see. The one you're, you're paying them for the prime of their career, right? That's, that's essentially what's going to happen. You're paying for them for their absolute prime and Machado, um, those, those first five years are, are, are you're probably going to get the best baseball, but then you're giving him an opportunity to, uh, to opt out, to make more money or God forbid an injury were to happen. He has insurance where at that time, uh, you know, even if, if, if you were not to opt out, then he has those, those backloaded dollars that are still significant dollars if you're not even at that earning potential any longer. So to me, it's a very good deal for, for both parties if you were to do it that way. Uh, another thing um, as we were talking about this, so the Stanton deal takes them through 2027. Uh, there's a team option in 2028. So they may be looking at that. Well, we, we already agreed to the, the Stanton contract. We're locked in there. They might want to use that 2027-2028 season as another milestone point where they're going to reset again. You know what I mean? Yeah. Well, I mean, I, I think it's too far away to, to even know, right? It's too, too far it's out. Too, to... You don't know where you're going to be, but if you start no. to line up your major contracts to all – because uh, that's that's kind of what happened with their t- with the 2009 contracts, right? They all came up around the 2016 2017 season, and that's when they did the reset. So they yeah, might but at the same looking- time, don't you want to do do a better job at that <laughs> instead of instead of having a, a, a team in purgatory for four years? I, I don't, or, or I don't know, long? I don't know how the the Yankees don't have to look at it the same way that other teams have to look at it. Yeah. No, I think that's. I think it's too far out that they would they would look at that as like the reset time. I mean, obviously, it really depends on how well uh, and how things happen. I think in the next three years and, and to see where the success of this team is. But you know, I mean, personally, that's why I like the the deal of of these opt outs and, and trying to um, work around it because you're going to be in a position in probably five, four to five years where you're going to look down and you're going to say, all right, we got a lot more players that need to be signed before that even, and and where are we because. Even if you're you're looking at where Stanton's contract ends, you have other guys that are going to be coming up well before that that you have to pay um, and yep. figure things out. So it's a fluid situation. It's not to me. There's no like set date when you're like, okay, we're going to be resetting now because you just don't know what guys are going to resign for what value and for for how long. It's just too many uh, right now. Be, the difference being, I think, between now and 2009, is we have so many young guys on this team that are, you know, don't have their big contracts yet. Where in 2009 it was it was different. We had established players, established, uh, mostly established contracts, and then a lot of free agents. Yeah, 2009 was a last uh, ditch effort to win again yeah. with with the core four. Yeah, it's a different situation. This is more of the beginning. Yeah, yeah. And moving to the other third baseman currently on the roster, Andujar. Uh, there was an article on the Athletic posted this week that Adrian Beltre offered to help Andujar with his defense, and. That was just music to our ears because we've been half joking about that for four months ever since Beltre said he was going to retire. All right, get Beltre on the payroll. Have him call up Andujar. And he's not even on the payroll. He just offered to help him because uh, Beltre was Andujar's childhood hero. Um, But it's beautiful. I love it. Yeah, I mean, I don't think we were half joking. I was dead serious. Like, did Beltre and Well, we were joking in the sense like, this is our plan, which, you know. Look, they they were... uh, 
Andy Horner made it very clear to Beltre that you know he was his guy growing up. Are they both Dominican? Is I think yes. they're both from the city. They're both they're both countrymen, so that's mm-hmm. that's you know a big deal. Um, they uh, you know who knows when the World Baseball Classic comes out. We could see Beltre back on that team. Andujar, you know, there's there's a connection there. There's a there's a there's a hometown home country connection there. And I'm glad it's working out. I'm glad Beltre has offered to Andujar because he sees a guy that has a ridiculous amount of potential. No longer is he, you know, a competitor. And Beltre says, okay, now I can push my wisdom uh, of defense and footwork and throwing mechanics onto this young player who has such great potential. Here we go. I I expect gold gloves next year. Also in that article was talking about what the Yankees specifically want him to work on. His footwork and his first step is what they highlighted. And they issued him with an iPad of video for him to, to work on all offseason. Um, and if I, I – so it's weird because we've been talking about are the Yankees going to trade Duhar? He's the, the guy who's most floated around. Like you don't even hear Glaber Torres' name in, in trade rumors. Um, so is, is the, his defense – is this whole thing around his defense about – them keeping him or about them boosting his value for the trade market or both? I mean, yeah, it's everything. I mean, you have to, you have to assume right now you're going to have Adrian Beltre. You're going to have Miguel Andujar as your third baseman. I mean, that's, that is what the situation is right now. So it's not like you can plan uh, to not have the player. You got to have, you got to plan to have the player. And even if they were planning on trading him, I still think they would do the same thing because they have uh, an appreciation and a respect for the player to make him better while he's currently on their team. And that's exactly what's happening. Um, and, you know, he could very well be a very long-term piece on this team. So they're going to go about it the way that they normally would and say, look, we need to improve your defense. This is what you need to improve. Here's how we you can improve it while you're at home. Um, and then who knows how Beltre got, you know, the the um, the little whisper in his ear to go reach out to Andujar. It could have been Andujar reaching out to him. It could have been someone in the Yankees organization saying, hey, uh, reach out to Andujar, please. Could have been A-Rod. Who knows? Could have been anybody. Podcast. Could have been a lot of things. Yeah, I mean, Beltre's a loyal listener. That's obvious. So, you know, I, I think that they go about it and, and they try to improve Andujar's defense because it's clearly, it's not like it's a, it's a secret. Everybody knows that's <laughs> yeah. his biggest flaw. Um, that article also talked about, and I've heard this a lot on, uh, from people on Twitter and also on sports radio, that Andujar was benched in the game four of the ALDS, the most important game of the season because it was win or go home. Andujar was benched because of his defense. And while I think... Yeah his defense factored in. I also think it was because they were looking for a shakeup in the lineup. And Duhar had one hit in that Boston series. He looked lost at the plate. He was swinging at everything. He did not look comfortable. Neil Walker, on the other hand, was having better at bats and can play better defense. So I think it was a combination of not just defense, but also he was not hitting. If he was hitting 500 in the series, you think they would have sat him because of his defense in game four? Hell no. No, no, they definitely wouldn't have. It was the fact the fact that he was struggling with the bat was the reason they did it. I mean, yes, yes. the defense absolutely is a, um, a contributing factor, and it, you're getting a, pl- a a better defender if he's not in the game. Pretty much with anybody playing third at that point, but the um, the fact that he wasn't hitting was the reason. Because otherwise, what what they most likely would have done is what we had seen in the past: is you start him, you get him, you know, x amount of at bats, and then you sub him in for a defensive replacement if you need to. But you need that bat in the lineup. Uh, so yeah, I. I a thousand percent think it was because of the bat and then you know the easy the easy way to play that it was because of his defense yep all right you we mentioned earlier sabathia had that heart procedure he had an angioplasty um he was feeling symptoms of acid reflux and heartburn i've been there 
Um, but apparently they were much worse. He was uh, exercising and sweating profusely. So he went to the doctor, went to the team doctors, and then they realized that he had a, uh, a blockage in one of his arteries and he had the angioplasty. That happened a couple weeks ago, but the news came out on Friday. Or, yeah, it was Friday. Yeah, yeah. So they've, um, I mean, this is, you know, it's, it's a very, it's concerning, obviously, because, uh, you know, he's getting up there in age. He's a bigger dude. Anytime you're talking about the heart, there's, uh, there's, there's concern. Uh, the angioplasty is, is more of a, um, a routine procedure. Not, not that anything with the heart is routine, but that is one of the more routine procedures, uh, I think. So it seems like um, it did exactly what they needed to be, to do. And, and, you know, hopefully he's, um, he's, he's it's going to work out well for him, obviously. Um, but they're still planning on him doing, you know, normal offseason stuff and reporting to camp. And so it seems like it was, they caught everything when they needed to catch it. Uh, CC was very open and honest with the way he's feeling, which I hope everybody in the world is when it's especially about your, your heart. Uh, and he told the pe- the right people what, what he was feeling and, and they went in and accordingly took, it, took care of it. So, um, I'm glad to, to see that the uh, the big man is is uh, on the mend and and got it caught, uh, taken care of early. It's just it's crazy because you sign a 38 year old pitcher who's got a lot of miles on him. You don't expect to see heart procedure as the headline, no. you, you know. So glad yeah, he's, no, glad it's, he's doing it's, healthy. It's it's one of those things that you know no matter who you are, whether you're you know working uh, uh, you know in finance or at a gas station or you're a major league baseball player, if there's something going on with uh, an artery, uh, you know, or you have a, a, a clog in your heart, like it, it doesn't matter what you do. It doesn't matter how many innings you have on your arm. Like those, those are things that just pop up. And I, and I think as you, as you get older, they can pop up with more frequency and they're, they're a higher percentage of coming up. So just glad he got it taken care of. He did say on, on his podcast that the Kansas city was his favorite stop because of the barbecue. Yeah. I mean, we've seen, we've seen the way the man eats. Like it's, it's, it, it, it's, it's also part of like how you treat your body and how you, uh, and, and just your makeup too. So there's a lot of different things. Uh, none of us probably know, you know, the, 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 uh, the details of, of why CC is, is having these types of issues. But again, just glad that it was caught and taken care of. All right, let's run through some league news uh, quickly. There's a bunch of things that have happened. So Brantley signed with the Astros for two years and $32 million. It's significantly less guaranteed dollars than McCutcheon got, um, but it's about the same AAV, $16 million. It's just one less year. Um, Andrew Miller, who maybe the Yankees were going to be in on, signed in St. Louis. The Yankees were not in on Andrew Miller. Um, Daniel Murphy, who I know was floated around as a potential fit for the Yankees because he's a left-handed bat um, is going to the Rockies. Uh, I don't really get Murphy not signing with an American League team because I do think he's more of a DH first baseman at this point. Um, anything, anything in here of this news you, you wanna you wanna highlight? Yeah, the uh, I mean Annabelle Sanchez. They're talking about like the, he's he's kind of uh, become. I saw an article about him being like a, a right-handed CC Sabathia like type player. Now how he's kind of God. reimagined himself and, and, and now is, is, you know, just uh, very difficult against right-handed bats and just kind of has, has proven to, to be a new type of pitcher. I haven't really seen him pitch in years. Uh, you know, he's always been kind of a, a meaty, mediocre guy. Um, Daniel Murphy. I, yeah. I, I agree to an extent. Like I, it, it seems like it would be a more natural fit for a, um, AL team, but I think he's probably going to play first base and, and I think that's okay when you're playing with the, if you're the Rockies, if you're going to play first base, then I think Daniel Murphy could be just fine. Plus it's a two year deal. 
Um, so I, I think the defense won't be as much of an issue. I think we need to talk about him at second base and like the Yankees rumors or people floating him in there uh, of him potentially playing second base or even sliding around to the infield, maybe at first base because of the left-handed bat. It's like, I don't know. You're, 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 you're adding another liability to the middle of the infield at, at certain days. Just not really what I want. Like I like his bat, um, but there's just, you're right, at, the you're whole putting, defense. You'd defense, be adding another player the- with an issue. In, especially yeah. in the first half, when you have your best infield defender, Didi, out, and then yeah. you'd be talking about the second, third, and short could potentially be a broken down Daniel Murphy and inconsistent um, Glaber at short, and then Andujar with his defensive struggles at third. That would be ugly. Yeah, it's when you add another guy like that that has issues that you know of uh, defensively, then you know you're, you're signing him purely for his bat, and I think the Yankees are doing okay with the bat at this point. Uh, I think a lot of the offensive woes, the fact that we need a left-handed bat is a little, is very much overblown. I don't think they desperately need it. Uh, but yeah, so Daniel Murphy wasn't really a great fit for me. And then Andrew Miller, you know, the guy signed, uh, I think a lot of people thought he was going to possibly get a one-year deal because of the injury issues. Obviously, St. Louis was comfortable enough to, to go in there and offer two years, and they offered a third-year vesting option that will um, that could make this a, a three-year, $36 million deal, which is a good deal for, for Miller if he's able to get there and he's healthy. Um, and I think it's also a good deal if he is healthy and the, the Cardinals are getting a um, you know a high-end Andrew Miller. So uh, otherwise, he would most likely be uh, be costing more money than this. So it's a, I think it's a good deal both, both ways, especially if he's healthy for the Cardinals. Yeah, and wh- when you look at what some of these relievers have gotten, like Miller and then Joe Kelly with the Dodgers got three years, Jerry's Familia got three years with the Mets, that kind of sets the tone for what the Yankees might need to offer for someone like Robertson or Ottavino or if they want to re-sign Zach Britton. Yeah, I think those are that's probably the benchmark is that three-year deal. And whether it's with through a vesting option at the end like uh, Miller did, and I think that's because of his injury history. You're looking at a guy like Ottavino or even D-Rob, uh, you're not going to put that vesting option most likely. They, if I were them, I wouldn't accept that vesting option because why? I'm, well, I'm Robertson healthy. is, but Robertson. I'm looking, Maybe I Robertson forget. because of the age, but it's yeah. I'm it's, looking up his age right now. I forget how old he is. He is 34, 33. He's 33. Yeah. He's going to be 34 next season. And Andrew Miller. So I could is, see him 34. So I could yeah. see a D Rob going with the, the vesting age, option yeah. only because of his age, and, and maybe that's part of it. But he's been very durable for his entire Would career. You, do that for Robertson? Would you do the exact same Andrew Miller contract? No, no, I would not. I would personally so, would not. I, see, at, at this point in in their, like, I, I think David Robertson is an effective player. Uh, I, I would probably do two years for David Robertson. I don't think I'd go for that third year. Um, but I don't you're know. Talking about when investing I'm, option. So it, 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 you've sort of like the hap, like we talked about last week. If it vests, that means he had a good year. Yeah, but at the same time, when you're looking at relievers, when you're getting at that age, you could vest depending on what the vet, depending on what the option is for it to vest. It's and most likely appearances or innings pitched. Innings pitched, something like that. Yeah, um, I, relief pitchers could fall off a cliff very fast. So I think yes. it's a different animal. It's a different animal when we're talking about David Robertson in that age. I think with um, with with Jay Happ, when when you're seeing like a, a durability throughout the entire year, I don't know they're conditioned differently. And and uh, for whatever reason, I've seen Jay Happ pitch at an older age. Uh, D. Rob, he's at that weird age now where it could go south fast. Yeah, he's been durable through thirty three, but who knows if he's going to be durable thirty four, thirty five, thirty six. Yeah, and with Happ, we've seen him pitch older and and effectively. So it's like his his body is going well. I'm not. But there's a wall right for now. everybody. There is a wall for everybody. Who knows, um, man. I, 
this is just it's just a, a feeling with with David Robertson. I, I wouldn't want to do that third year. And for whatever reason, like I think that when you if whoever signs Zach Britton uh, for next year, I think they're going to get a very good deal because I don't think he pitched to his maximum potential this year. Coming off that Achilles injury, uh, it was a year ago, really this time when he had surgery in in 2017 for for the Achilles. Like I I was surprised how fast he came back and how well. He did pitch when when he did come back. I mean, we, we saw how sporadic he was, I think, with the uh, with the Orioles. But then as he came over, we saw some signs towards the end of the year of Britain, um, you know, coming back to the old guy. And I got to believe when you're a full, full, you know, year and a half out from that injury and from that surgery and you're, you're just your your body's built up that much more. Uh, I have a feeling that we're going to whoever signs him is going to get much closer to the uh, to the real Zach Britton than what we saw. Well, he's going to, I think, get three years guaranteed. Yeah, I could see that definitely, especially because the injury is, you know, a year out in the rear view mirror. He's proved that he could pitch. The one thing I think you and I were both, a lot of people were disappointed with Britain was the command. He would lose his command at times, and he would walk people, which is very uncharacteristic for him. Now, is that a factor of coming back from the injury, or is that fluky? You know, what was that? I don't really know. Um, Hopefully, like you said, full year of recovery, full off season of being healthy, that changes. Yeah, and I think that's exactly what it is. I think it could be a you know whether it's it still hurts or it's just mechanical or it's fatigue. Um, I could absolutely seeing uh, you know the Achilles and that whole area getting fatigued after you go through you know a surgery like that and coming back and then playing for as long as he did. I mean, he was still durable with what with what he went through. Like again, it's surprising to me how fast he could come back from that Achilles. He was still effective. Um, he was still an effective he was, he was, relief. Pitcher. Absolutely, but you're right. But he the, wasn't the, the command. 2015. It wasn't 2015. Zach Britton, who was. Like and one I'm of not, the I'm, best relief seasons of all time. I'm not sure we ever see that again, but no. I think you can get very close back to more 80% of, his of it is still yeah. fantastic. Well, I think even 80%, yeah, I think he could exceed that. I think once he's fully healthy uh, and he has the confidence of, of, the, of the, the bottom half, the lower half, then I think you start seeing that command get back to exactly where it was. And you don't see a lot of those issues because when you have fatigue, you know, we talked about this with Severino, fatigue will absolutely turn into... Um, control issues and mechanical issues and all of those things are connected. So uh, I, I definitely think that whoever gets him is, is going to be um, pleasantly surprised. And who knows where Robertson's market shakes out because the Red Sox might be in on Robertson. Veritek's wife tweeted that the Yankee Red Sox rivalry is going to be even better next year, even more interesting next year. What the hell is she talking about? I can't imagine that David Robertson as the swing piece in that rivalry, really, I don't want Robertson to go to the Red Sox because I like David Robertson and I think he could still be a good reliever and that would make the Red Sox better. But if he goes there, I'm not going to like lose sleep over, oh, how could he betray the Yankees like that? Right. Yeah, no, I'm not going to. I don't know how that really intensifies the, the, uh, the rivalry. <laughs> maybe, maybe she just had a little too much eggnog and was just talking in generality and how it's going to be better. Uh, it was right after Machado had had visited too, and maybe she's just assuming Machado was going to the Yankees. Okay, that could be. That's actually a good theory because Machado had the Red Sox stuff with Pedroia spiking yeah. Pedroia. Remember that from a couple years ago? Absolutely. He he has been very vocal in the fact that he doesn't like the Red Sox, and I'm surprised that hasn't been more of a a talked about uh, you know thing with Machado and the fact that he does not like the, the the Red Sox and how well that will play for Yankee fans too when you bring over a guy that. Not only is a world class the gold standard, but he's also a, a Red Sox hater. Like, how do you not? How do you not love that? 
that that's a good that you know that's a good selling point on Machado. We uh, we've talked about lo- a long time how we love that rivalry when it's heated up. We got the brawl last year. They met in the playoffs again. The whole Judge New York New York bullshit. So sure, add another add some more lighter fluid to that fire. If there's a fiery Machado and there's that edge of him that people don't like, how about we use that edge for our advantage and bring him on there as a catalyst to uh, to go out there and and to beat the Boston Red Sox? I mean. I'm liking this more and more as I talk about it, to tell you the truth. <laughs> uh, and then as far as like weird trades go, so this Dodgers-Reds one ranks up there for me as weird because the Dodgers are offloading money. They're sending Matt Kemp, Yasuo Puig, and Alex Wood to the Reds in exchange for Homer Bailey. And right now we know one of the top infield prospects for the Reds, Jeter Downs, is going to the Dodgers. I get it from a Dodgers standpoint. They're clearing off money. They're potentially going to make a big offer to Bryce Harper. I don't understand what the Reds are doing. They're kind of in purgatory of mediocrity, so whatever. Yeah, it's weird with the like. I I kind of I do understand what the Dodgers are doing. I don't understand what the Cincinnati Reds are doing. I I think they are blinded by the fact that they think they can win next year. I really think they they think they can win next year, and it's it's pretty shocking to me. Really, because um, they they're did... in a division with uh, the Brewers, who just went to the champ- championship I know. series. The Cubs, who are still going to be one of the better teams in baseball, and also the Cardinals, who are always good. It makes it makes no sense to me. That's that's what I'm saying. Like I don't understand why they think they can actually do that. It was so Jeter Downs is one of their uh, middle infield prospects. Like, he was rumored at some point. Uh, about the irony of a, a Sonny Gray trade and a, a guy named Jeter coming back to the Yankees. So that's why I think a bunch of people know his name. And then, He's got to uh, be named right, after Derek Jeter, correct? Pro- I mean, I don't know why your name would be Jeter otherwise, uh, first names. The Josiah uh, Gray is the other deal that we know that went, went there. Um, and he's a you know a low A rookie ball pitcher that that's had some success. So the the Dodgers actually got some 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 um, decent players back, which is again more to the the head scratchingness of this deal with them just unloading their contracts and getting rid of like Yasel Puig and was at the end of towards the end of the year was really just a platoon guy. He was he wasn't starting uh, against. You know, he was he was splitting time in, in right field. And Matt Kemp is old as dirt, and I know he had a good year. But he was paid a ton of money, so it's it's a very weird deal. But it seems like they're making a run at Bryce Harper and Cincinnati, which is like, okay, here, yeah, we'll take all those contracts. Go ahead. And, oh, here, here's some p- potential talent for you. Mm-hmm. Jeter Downs, born in July of 1998, most definitely named after Derek Jeter. <laughs> yeah. Where's he from? Do we know? Uh, he was born in Columbia, but he went to high school in Miami. Okay. No Jeter connection so far there. <laughs> well, you never know. He plays shortstop. <laughs> All right, you ready to get into some mailbags? Yeah. The first one is from Adam. Why does it seem like we aren't in on Keuchel? He's a proven starter with a 60% ground ball rate. Would he not be a good fit in New York? I, I think at this point, I mean, there, we hadn't really heard much about Keuchel and New York talking even. Um, if, you're, you know, if you're ears to the rumor mill, there really wasn't much about Keuchel in New York. Um, but as far as fit, like, yeah, I, I see, I see the fit. The ground ball rate is, is very good. Obviously we, you know, you want ground ball pitchers at Yankee stadium. That's a good thing. Um, but the fact that they signed Hap and they're getting, uh, you know, what they want, basically two to three year deal with Hap, um, then they're not going to overextend at this point. I certainly don't think they would, uh, even be remotely in on Keuchel because of the fact that they signed Hap. Um, but it doesn't sound like they were, they were really targeting him. They, they wanted Hap over Keuchel in the first place is what it seems like. 
It's going to be actually really interesting where Keuchel's market shakes out because MLB trade rumors originally in the offseason projected four years and $82 million, which is $20.5 million per year for Keuchel. Now, looking at what Corbin got, he got the six years, but Corbin's also a couple years younger. And then what Hap got, who's a couple years older, Keuchel kind of falls in the middle. Like, what teams are going to be willing to, to signing Keuchel for four years? I mean, the Astros seem like they would want to bring him back, but... There hasn't really been a ton of talks about that. So you're only looking at teams that are going to win in the next four years. And really, those teams, there's only a handful of those teams. But when you're looking, I think Philadelphia seems like a really good match. I mean, Philadelphia's on well, the rise. Well, they're just like, they're blowing, they're blowing all they're, their money this offseason. <laughs> yeah, they're spending a lot of money, but they're also a team on the rise that, you know, I don't know, he just feels like he could be a, a fit in Philadelphia with that ugly-ass beard. I could see him fitting in there with, with, uh, with the Phillies. Um, that, that beard wouldn't play in New York, obviously. And I, I don't know, just, he feels like a guy that would feel that would, uh, that would do well in Philadelphia. It's going to be interesting to contract because when you're, you're talking about that, but you know, you didn't mention the Evaldi deal too. That's like smack in the oh, middle right. of everything. I, you know, I, t- I totally, I forgot. I, I try and block that out of my mind. When you're looking at what Evaldi got at $17 million a year, like that's probably where you are. And then Keiko's like, come on. Like, you better give me more than freaking Nathan Evaldi got at <laughs> yeah, this point. And, and so, you know, whether it's $5 more or a million dollars more, like, optics to me, if I'm Dallas Keuchel, like, I got to get more than, than Nathan Evaldi. Like, I was literally have been one of the most dominant pitchers in baseball, you know, over the past three years. Not, but know, I last can't year, maybe figure out where outlier. this market is shaking out because then I look at Charlie Morton, who I would have thought would have gotten more than Evaldi because Evaldi had one good month and it got him four years. I just don't understand it. Whereas Morton has been a good pitcher for a couple of years now and he got two years from the, the Rays. Yeah, I, I, it's, it's a strange market. It really is. And it also, I think it depends on what the player is, is looking at. Are they looking at you know, maximum value per year and they're trying to you know, get that uh, rather than the, the long-term deal? You know, I, I think there, it seems like uh, you know whether the market was was uh, showing him anything longer, but Morton definitely took the the shorter deal with the the probably the higher um, the higher average value, whereas Evaldi saw the four years at you know maybe a no, but, but a Evaldi less got than seventeen million a year. Morton only got fifteen a year. Yeah, I but I think that Evaldi was coming off such a high. Morton was was down a little bit to where he was in the past. Also. Morton's been around the block a little bit. Like he's he's he had success, and he's an older guy. So yeah, the fact that he got that, had two Tommy John surgeries, but and he's still young. He's younger Red than Sox, everybody on on in free agency. The Red Sox were bidding against themselves for Evaldi. <laughs> yes, I think so, and I think they had to bring a guy back like that. The fact that he had such success there, and the fact that he is as young as he is, they're banking on that his arm is fixed. You know, they know something. Again, the bionic arm. Whatever, whatever's going on in there, the, the, the um, non-natural non fibers that are now in his elbow, the Red Sox know about it, okay? That's just what's happening. And they're paying him so that they can keep him for four years of the bionic elbow. I don't know what else to tell you. <laughs> All right. Well, Keiko, yeah, I just don't see it happening with what the Yankees have already done this offseason. I don't think Hap and Keiko were a realistic possibility. They ended up settling, not settling, they ended up choosing Hap. They got Hap back. We both liked that deal. I don't think Keuchel, they even speak with him. All right, moving on. Lee Jones from Liverpool. And I, and I hate Dallas yeah. Keuchel, for the record. Yeah, I, I hate, hate Dallas too. Keuchel, so I'm happy that him. they didn't even talk to him. And he, um, I think he would look weird without a beard. You, you say he looks ugly with the beard, but I think he would look weird without the beard. 
he would look weird without the beard. He looks ugly with the beard. He would look even uglier without the beard, probably. I, I don't like anything about him. I don't like his face. I don't like his beard. I don't like him. I don't, he would probably be uh, a horrible pitcher with the Yankees. Then we'd hate him even more, and we'd have him for four years. It would just It's not a good fit. I don't like him. Yeah, he, has ground, he throws the ground balls. Great. I hate every other part about him. Okay. <laughs> Lee says, there was a lot of talk about the Yankees signing Corbin and Hap, potentially experimenting with a six-man rotation, or at the very least, ensuring they had depth. With Hap signed and Corbin off the table, do you still think we're looking for a sixth starting pitcher, most likely in a trade? And we've said this a million times, but they wanted Corbin and Hap. They got Paxton and Hap. I don't see much of a difference there. No, there's not much of a difference. There's a very, very, very similar a uh, similar player set as far as you're bringing what you're getting now and really for the next two years, three years. Like, this is what we've got. It's, it's, uh, you hope what you get with Corbin is what you're hoping you get with Paxton. Like, they both have the potential and they both have, uh, I think, the high ceiling, but it's not very different. Like, I think they both have a similar high ceiling. Maybe Paxton has a higher ceiling even. So who knows? But yeah, I think it's very similar. Will they go out and get someone else? Again, it would not surprise me if, if Cashman were to go out and make another deal for a, a guy that's you know not a, a big name, but someone that, that could come in and and you know be a, a swing guy at the same time, or it could be a six starter. But again, man, like again, not a popular opinion and not one that I even like saying. But they still kind of do have that guy in their payroll, uh, and that will probably cost about nine million dollars uh, in arbitration. And, and that's Sonny Gray. And I know everybody hates him. And I know I talked about this last week. I'm not even going to harp on this any longer. But the fact that they have a, fi- a five-man rotation set at this point, um, unless you're going to get something of value that really that, that makes a lot of sense for what you need now as a team or what you could be building, um, and it's not just some throw-in, then to me there's more value for a guy like Sonny Gray as starting out as like a, a, a middle rel- long relief guy, a swingman type thing, and see if he can build his value back up. Yeah, and I think they're confident in the five starters they have, at least for the first part of the season, to be very, very uh, strong. And then Cashman likes to have the flexibility of seeing what the team looks like, what do they need to do in June and July, how can they add someone then. Yes, I agree. And I think that's also a big consideration on how they position themselves you know, at this point with prospects and making trades. Like We're all talking about trading for another, uh, another piece right now, but probably the the you know more value for the Yankees and Brian Cashman is to to potentially hold on to these pieces and like you're saying make that trade in you know June July when you know more of what your team looks like and what you need to get you over that edge like that's where and I know it'll, there's more of a premium paid at the trade deadline than in the offseason but if you don't have those prospects then you can't even try to make that premium um, you know during the trade deadline and there's a guy out there, Madison Bumgarner, who's going into the last year of his deal, and he's going to be on a really terrible San Francisco Giants team. They have delusions of grandeur. They think they're going to c- compete once again next year. They're not. They're going to be bad. Who's to say they don't want to trade him and just get something for him uh, of value because he's got two months left anyway on his contract? I mean, they absolutely should. That's exactly what they should do. If, if, they, if they were to wait, not sell him in the offseason, but do it at the trade deadline, like, they're going to get max value. So if I'm, if I'm San Francisco, I'm doing the exact same thing. I'm going to hopefully have a good year and then we could use him. But if we don't, you know, the fan base is going to be like, can we please lose like 10 games in a row before the deadline so that we can, so that we can have some clarity here and trade him and, and build our team back up? Because, you know, that's, that's the move. Uh, it's, it's similar to what 
the Orioles were, you know, in a situation with Machado and, and even Britain, like that's what's going to happen. It's, right. a, it's a very, but, very dumb baseball move if they don't. But you can get teams uh, tend to be more desperate for pitching starting pitching at the trade deadline than they do position players. No doubt. And we, we know what, what kind of an impact it makes. I mean, we saw exactly the direct impact uh, the trade from, from, from Detroit to Houston that Justin Verlander made on the Houston Astros. They won the World Freaking Series. And he was a huge difference maker down the stretch. So a guy like Bumgarner, who's got, like, who, what do we really want him for? Do we want him for the regular season or do we want him for the postseason? <laughs> want him for yeah. game one of, of whatever playoff series they start. So think about how that is going to play out. Like that's going to be part of the trade narrative too at the deadline. Like you're getting a guy that has, you know, ridiculous postseason numbers. He's a He's horse. He's a postseason you, legend. He is. So you know what he, he is, is, and that's what you're getting him for. Yes, he is. He's will go down in history as one of the best post have one of the best postseason runs of all time. What he did to the Kansas City Royals in 2014. He murdered yeah. them. He murdered yes. the city of Kansas City. Um, and granted, right. it's a it's a different guy because you're older. He's yes. while he's not as old as people think he is. Uh, he's definitely got a lot of or a lot of uh, tread on the tire, not, or not a lot of tread on the tire left. I don't even know what the hell I'm trying to say. He's got a lot of miles on the arm. He's not the same that? pitcher he was five years ago. No, he's, he's not. Still, he's still a very very good pitcher. And we and, talked about also him seeing... a few weeks ago with the hard hit percentage going up and the velocity going down. But having said all that, you still have to put it in context. And look, he was still a good pitcher. He's not. The top, a top five pitcher in baseball anymore, but he's still a very, very good starting pitcher. But you're also seeing him in San Francisco uh, that's, that's a little bit more forgiving for a pitcher, whereas if you were to come to one of these small American League ballparks, you know, that could be a thing. So you have to look at what he is currently and also not get caught up in what happened in the World Series against the Kansas City Royals because if you're going to do that, if any baseball team is going to do that, they're not going to get the same guy. And, and it's delusions of grandeur at that point. Like, mm-hmm. I don't even think when if you get a Madison Bumgarner coming into 2018 playoffs, he's not going to most likely be the number one starter in a, in a, in a postseason series. You're going to hope you get that, that same tenacity from a guy that's, that's pitching your number two or, or even number three game. You're talking about if, if hypothetical 2019 playoffs, you mean? Yes. Yeah. 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 I mean, it all depends. It, it, it really depends on how the rotation shakes out, if they have the Division One, or if they're in another wild card game. Like, there's so many factors. Yeah, there's um, a lot. And with the Red Sox being right there, it's, there's a high possibility that this wild card for either the Yankees or the Red Sox, you know, will certainly be a major factor down the stretch. Yeah, I think it's most likely going to be the same situation as last year, where the Yankees and the Red Sox are around 100 wins, and one of them's going to have to play that friggin' wild card game. Yep. Yep. All right, final question is from Jason A525 on Twitter. With CC only signed for one year, the Yankees need to be all in on Garrett Cole again next year. If he's available, and if he's available, sale because why not? Do you think that's part of the reason why the Yankees were hesitant on Corbin? And I've seen this not only with uh, like with what Jason just said about pitching, but the Yankees, Yankees fans saying, oh, maybe the Yankees are waiting. They're not going to sign Machado because they really want Nolan Arenado. Like this notion of waiting another year in free agency. I don't think it's a, it's a factor that they're waiting. It's, it's, but it's a, um, you can look at what is there. And as a fallback too, and not to say that like that's a that's a, a very first world problem as far as a fallback, uh, Arenado to Machado. But when you're looking at the, um, you're, you're not going to overextend yourself for this player. 
you have pieces that you think can win right now, so you don't need to make that move. And then, yeah, you can assess the situation again next year, and and you're also and there's a, like a, a phenomenal player also available at that position. And we're looking at the pitching. Like, there's some good pitching available next year too. So if you don't get the guy you want, but you can get a guy for a shorter term deal that you think will be effective and and really you won't lose as much, then you know, you can reassess again what happens next year. I don't think it's necessarily them waiting, though. Because to me, nothing they're doing is waiting right now. Right. It's, it's being smart. They're, they're being smart. They're not, being, they're not uh, being dumb with their money. And, like, Yankees fans have a tough time comprehending that. They think the Yankees are being cheap when I see it as being smart with your contracts. And Fiscally it's responsible. They were, they were not... Smart with their contracts in the past, and it bit them in the ass. Why do you want them to do it again? Why do you want them to make the same mistake again? Uh, the problem is, we could all say that right now, though, about the Stanton contract because the Stanton contract is exa- is exactly that. You know, it's <laughs> it it's going to so, bite us in the ass. Okay, in the so end, two, with two, that Stanton, two wrongs make a right. No, that's exactly why. And I've been preaching to this the entire time. Like the fact that that contract exists, the fact that the Yankees went and made that trade last year to get Giancarlo Stanton and taking on that ten million dollar contract. Just led me down the path that they're contract. not going to be. I wish tenure, it was a ten million dollar contract. No, ten year contract, and the fact that they're not going to go down this road of, of signing another, uh, you know, ten year deal. It just, or they'll be less apt to do it unless everything is is right in their in the way that the contract lines up. I, yeah. I, they made a decision last year, knowing what was coming up in 2019, to go after G. Carlos Stanton and say that this is the guy that we want at this at this length, um, and. So they, they, made, they made that deal, and, and they took on a bad contract. Uh, you know, the value of that contract, when you're looking at it comparatively, is pretty good, actually. Um, well, because you know, theoretically the on what Machado some and, of it. Yeah, and, and, you know, we'll see how it shakes out. But what, what's rumored on, on what Machado could get or what Bryce Harper could get, you, uh, if, we, if we look at those, you know, come spring training and we, and we line up those three contracts and see which one looks worse— you know, we can make a, a, a an argument that Stanton is is, is um, was gotten at a value, even though the the term of the value is long term. You could also make the argument that he is the lesser of the players in those three guys, though. You could. You could also make the argument that he's not. I mean, he won the the NL MVP last year, and Bryce Harper didn't. So you know, there's a there's a number of things you could you could well, say. Harper's won an MVP in the past, so like, well, Machado's just never won year. an MVP, and no, I think look, Machado's the I, I best player out of any of them. Depends on what you're looking at. You could. You could absolutely make an argument for that. So a MVP awards, I don't think, tell you the whole story. I know. I'm, I'm more joking about that. It's just, you know, biased, uh, convenient, conveniently biased for that one. But right. the fact that you could make an argument, I think, when you're looking at body of work uh, for Stanton as, you know, the best player of those three, I think there absolutely could be, that argument could be made. Okay. I, I would have a hard time with that argument, but fine. Um, all right, let's wrap this up. And again, uh, Merry Christmas to everybody out there. Thank you guys for submitting the mailbag questions. You can do that at bronxpinstripes.com slash podcast. You can tweet us at Yankees Podcast, or you can submit in the Facebook group, the Bronx Pinstripe Show. We have a ton of good chatter going on in there. The uh, Again, part of this episode will be the Joe Torre curveballs along the way. Hope you enjoy that. Scott, any final words? Yeah, just a Merry Christmas to everybody. Hope you have a, a very happy and safe Merry Christmas, and then uh, we got New Year's. Is it before? No, New Year's Eve is no, the No, it'll be released on New show. Year's Eve. Yep. Yeah, so that'll be interesting. I have a, a, a buddy of mine from college is actually getting married on that day, so we have a, a wedding slash New Year's Eve party. It's actually going to well, be really, you know, I've heard people It's going to be a lot of fun. And everyone who goes to those weddings say they're awesome because you're yeah. – 
you're just at a giant party with all your friends on New Year's Eve. Yeah, it's, that's exactly what we're looking at. So it's gonna yeah. be uh, it's gonna be pretty pretty good, I think. So we'll see we'll see how I recover from that one. <laughs> all right, good stuff. We'll talk to you guys next Monday. I'm sitting in the crib dreaming about jets and coops, the way salt shoots and how to sell records like Snoop. I'm interrupted by a doorbell. 352. All right, welcome back, folks. Here, this is Brian with Take Two Podcast, and I am joined by an amazing podcast, the Bronx Pinstripe Show. I've got Scott and Andrew here with me, and we are going to review a not well-known Yankee movie, but one that hits close to home for all Yankee fans. Uh, curveballs along the way, the Joe Torrey story. Gentlemen, Andrew, Scott, how are you? Good. I, I can't for the life of me figure out why it's not well-known. <laughs> I had never, this was, uh, Brian, this was one of the ones when we were trying to brainstorm to, to find a movie. We had, you know, we all came up with the normal ones, the, the Babe Ruth. That was the, one of the ones that we had uh, come down to the story of. And then I searched Amazon and I uh, found Joe Torre curveballs along the way. And I'm, I'd never heard of this movie. And I know damn well why nobody has heard of this movie. <laughs> I remember seeing it when it came out on Showtime and I was super excited to watch it. Uh, now, Scott, you and I are, are similar in age, but Andrew, was this tough for you to find? I mean, you were born just like a year or two before this, right? <laughs> no, I was actually born a year after. No, I'm just kidding. Oh, I'm uh, sorry. I was eight in 96, so I was nine when the movie came out. So this wasn't on my radar, I don't think. So you never had the smoky flashback scenes? That you know, that's not something you, you, you grew up with? No, it, it wasn't. But you know, I know the 90s, like a couple years ago when the Yankees did the whole 96 reunion tour and everything like that, I knew the 96 team from watching highlights and watching videos. Because you're eight years old, like I remember it, but I don't really remember it. I watched that 1996 World Series video 500,000 times. So yeah. I know the Joe Torre story because they did a whole 10-minute segment in that, in that World Series video about his brother getting the heart transplant. So I know it because of that World Series video. Yeah. Makes sense. I, I, so this one is huge. I, I know, Scott, I think you're, I was born in 81. I think we're around the same age. Uh, and so this World Series obviously was gigantic, obviously, just for Yankee fandom everywhere. But then for us, we were teenagers. This is right in our wheelhouse. Yep. So. When this movie came out, it was like I was like I I need to sit in front of the TV, sit and see it, and it was huge. Uh, let's see, directed by Sterla Gunnarsson. Don't know that name. You shouldn't know that name. They're Oscar nominated one time back in 1983 for another documentary, but outside of that, in this Joe Torre story, you didn't get much. If you watch the Joe Torre story, this curveballs along the way, you'll probably understand why. I I'll just come right off the bat, guys. I, this movie wasn't great. No, it sucked. It, it was awful. It sucked ass. <laughs> it was so bad. <laughs> It was, it was, it was one of the, the slowest, like there were so many things wrong with this from casting to producing, to directing everything to the, even the, just the format randomly Joe Torrey talking to the camera. Yeah. And being, why and did being he a very, break the fourth wall halfway through the movie? It's, it's all, it's all very random. It was like a but random you know what? throw together. You know what? So it, the first half of the movie, it was bad. And then it got bad. Good. When Paul O'Neill punched the cooler. Yeah, I laughed out loud because that looked like a high school production. Like one take. Let's let's see. O'Neill can't catch the fly ball. He comes off. He punches the cooler. It was terrible. That point in the movie, I was like, okay, this is so bad. It's good. So my most hated filmmaking technique is breaking the fourth wall. So you hit a huge nail on the head and it was completely unnecessary for the film. Like they were telling the story with narr without narration, without anything along the way. Fine. There was no reason for Paul Sorvino to then look into camera and just give like not even a advancement in the plot line tidbit that he wanted to let you know about. That was 
interesting why they would go that route. Paul Sorvino, of course, is playing Joe Torre. Uh, only other notable cast is Robert Loggia. Now, in our pre-show notes, you noted that Robert Loggia was from Independence Day fame. Yep. My favorite I'm movie sorry. of all time. Okay. All right. If it's your favorite of all time, we'll <laughs> give it to you then. I'm sorry. When I think him, I think the scene in Big of dancing on the piano. Sure. Tom like, Hanks. I understand he's had bigger roles, but he was the general <laughs> in Independence Day. That's, that's he, the first thing I thought of when I saw his face. So where are you on Independence Day Resurgence? He was in there too. Independence Day Resurgence, not good. Uh, <laughs> probably on par with Joe Torre curveballs along the way. But uh, Independence Day 1, peak Will Smith, uh, Jeff Goldblum. Like I could talk about that movie all day. I mean, I'm, a, I'm a fan of the, of the first Independence Day. I haven't even seen the second one. But, okay. uh, you know, Bill, Bill Pullman got me at, uh, in Spaceball. So uh, ever since then, I'm a fan. Yes, yes. <laughs> Now, other interesting casting, Gaylord Sartain played Don Zimmer. Um, he's more famous for being in all the Ernest movies. Your Ernest goes to camp, saves Christmas, goes to jail. I feel that's a miscast that we should have had Don Zimmer actually in all those films. <laughs> yeah, Don Zimmer should have played himself, you're saying? Or he should have, been, he should have just he should have been in the Ernest played movies. all of the, the, um, the uh, Sartain uh, roles. I got you. Yeah. So he sure. was too fat to play Zimmer. Like Zimmer was heavy, but not that fat. He had too much I mean, hair, I thought. He had way too much hair. That was the biggest problem. I mean, like the, the weight didn't really bother me, but how about some how about a little bit of dedication to the role and and shave your head if you're if you're if you're going in the mirror with hair. I mean it was clearly not Don Zimmer. This showtime so, movie is not really something you're gonna get actors to to really do something out of the uh, out of their way for. Well well, you know what? Then let's rethink the casting then and, and get a fat bald guy <laughs> that could go out there and play Don Zimmer. I think it should have just been Don Zimmer. You could have just told him he'd show up here at five o'clock. He wouldn't have known what's going on. No, that would have been good. I think Don Zimmer playing himself would have been a uh, a much better line in the credits. There's no doubt. Did you I didn't go, go ahead. Go ahead. No, I was gonna say more about casting the the Dean McDermott as David Cohn. Is it just me or does he look exactly like Tom Glavin? I mean, I yeah. see that. I think that was probably one of the better castings. It was because yeah. it, it, he. Because Glavin and Cone, you could say, could be related at least. But I thought Dean McDermott looks like to a T like Tom Glavin. Anyway, this weird, probably only I think, maybe a couple other people out there will, will realize it. Dean McDermott more famous for being married to Tori Spelling. Ooh, I didn't know that. The, the problem I have with casting in a lot of sports movies in general, but specifically in this one too, you're talking about the, um, the, the guy from that, what is that, that depressing show that I'm constantly seeing the commercials for that everybody loves on NBC, I think. This is us? Yeah, thank you. The, uh, the guy from that uh, who played Doc Gooden, um, who couldn't throw a baseball that looking anywhere remotely close to athletic, it really pisses me off when I'm watching a sports movie with guys who are the most unathletic looking people in, in scene as well. The guy who played Wade Boggs, holy good God. It's <laughs> seeing him swing a bat. His hands never went above his hips. Like I've right. never seen anybody None of hit them, a bat, like, and swung a bat like that. It's like no one knew practiced a baseball swing or, or baseball throwing motion. You get that in golf too. When you, uh, when you see golf movies, that wasn't but, even the worst casting though. I, I'm curious what you guys think is the worst casting because I think that the Wade Boggs one was maybe third worst. Uh, what did you guys think was the worst casting? Uh, I, I didn't. Uh, I guess I would probably go uh, stick with Zimmer just for the hair and his and his overweight. If I can just quickly. Isaiah Washington's not in This Is Us. The Sterling K. Brown. Oh, OK. He was in Grey's Anatomy. Facts. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> we, we don't he do facts in our podcast. 
Yeah. <laughs> he was in Grey's. He was in Grey's. Yeah, he was on Grey's for a long time, so you might be thinking of that. Maybe. I, I just know I've seen him in, in a bunch of commercials that, uh, for shows that I haven't watched. But the um, either way, the, the fact is that he couldn't, he couldn't throw a ball and look like halfway athletic. And that, that to me is just a, a deal breaker when we're talking about a sports movie because it's not believable at that point. Or they have to do like, you know, some, some very sneaky cutting away at, at, at key moments so that they don't look as unathletic as possible. Um, but as far as like the, the worst, I don't know. I really kind of lumped them all into terrible, all of them. Probably Tori was the, the best of all of them with Sorvino, but that was the rest of them were just pretty bad. Uh, so Diego Fuentes playing Mariano Duncan, that was the absolute worst casting in the entire movie. It was bad <laughs> casting, bad, horrible acting. I mean, they the, butchered the, we win, uh, we played today, we win today, that's it line. And they did it like four different times in the movie. I cringed every single time. Yeah. So one thing there. he's famous for, it's like the one thing they needed to get right for him. And the, uh, yeah. Daryl strawberry casting was pretty terrible too. I was like, did did uh did David Justice play on this team? Yeah, pretty sure exactly. David Justice. He would have been perfect for David Justice. He looked like the yeah. guy who played David Justice in um, Moneyball. As soon as he walked in the door, I'm like, wait, wait, this is the wrong year. David Justice wasn't wasn't here, and he was. Uh, it took me a minute to find out to like realize that he was playing Strawberry. It was very confusing. See, this is at the point in the movie where it's getting bad. Good. <laughs> I mean, you're looking at a 5.5 Metascore on IMDb. It didn't even grab a Rotten Tomatoes ma- rating. They didn't even go back because there was no real critical reviews for it. Uh, I think the ratings for this was nothing but 96 Yankee fans that wanted to watch it. Otherwise, <laughs> no, you want the story itself. Of course, is all about they try and make it about Joe Torre's life. They go through you know his upbringing as a kid. His his brother Frank was a ball player, and he gets to go see him play in the World Series and what have you. And then he gets older, and then now he gets these jobs as a manager. Someone throws with a stat at him that he has played in and managed the most games in uniform without touching the World Series. Was that was that it? Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Most most games in in baseball that has not been to a World Series, which um, I had That's forgotten true, that though. number. No, that, that, that was a big deal. That was they, that was talked about when he was hired. The, yeah. Remember the whole clueless Joe thing like that? Yeah. I feel like the, the movie didn't go into that enough because that was when Joe Torre was hired. Everyone was killing Steinbrenner because um, Showalter took them to the playoffs the previous year. They had the best mm-hmm. record in, in baseball or in the American League in 94 before the strike. Showalter gets canned and then fans are irate because they hire a guy who was fired by the Mets, Braves and Cardinals and had played more games in baseball history and never been to a World Series. Yeah, it was the, the beginning the, of the Showalter curse. Leaves a team, they go to the World Series. Leaves a team, go to the World Series. So we expect That's Showalter's uh, M.O. So the Orioles next year, your 2019 World Series ah, champs. That's that's a good one. That would be an amazing curse if that actually does Maybe happen. Maybe like 2023. The um, I mean, they obviously took the the way instead of going that route and playing the clueless Joe aspect of of the hiring, they went a different route and played to the fact that Tory has all the roots in New York, and you know he's back in the neighborhood, and everybody's excited about it. And then they went more into his family, obviously, to give more of the the backstory of Joe Tory and. I mean, if you remember the um, Brian, you certainly do. Like you said, we're around the same age. the 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 storyline during that time was um, the sister, uh, you know, being a nun. The you, you hear about the um, the heart issues with his brother. Like those were all very very prevalent in that '96 towards the end of the '96 series. So mm-hmm. his family actually was really involved with that whole team. Now, did you guys realize that you could find out if someone has an aneurysm just by shaking their hand? <laughs> I put that in the notes there. So how did much? <laughs> how many? Uh, how much did they exaggerate that? 
Oh, oh, that was their dramatic, their big dramatic scene for David Cohn, for sure. Right. <laughs> he shakes his hand. Cohn comes off the mound after pitching like seven shutout innings or whatever. Joe uh, Torrey shakes his hand and it's ice cold. And that's how he figured out he had an aneurysm. He figured out someone was, I don't, did he call the aneurysm or did he call it there was something going on? I don't know. Something wrong. I, I still have a very difficult time believing there was an ice cold hand after uh, still pitching that many innings in a game. Um, even if you have no feeling in your hand, probably not going to be cold. But the, the, that, whole, that whole exchange was, was interesting. And, and again, when you look back, like at the, when I'm looking at this movie as a whole, I, I say this, right? Like the storyline itself was about something that we all love. And it took you back through that. So that was like, to me, the saving grace of this movie, because I had fun reliving what happened while it was a horrible rendition of what happened. I played it back in my own mind. And like they did, that team went through a lot in that year. And Tori went through a lot in that year. I didn't know that he had a kid that late in his life that year. I don't don't remember that. Popping out kids at 56. Yeah. I didn't remember that part of it, but there were a lot of things that happened during that year that they either dealt with and, you know, got over and then, um, you know, came out on top. So there was a lot of things that I think that I had forgotten little details uh, that, that, I, that made this movie okay in my eyes for that reason. His brother Rocco dying was sort of forgotten. At least I forgot it because I had always known about his brother getting the heart transplant towards the World Series, but I forgot that Rocco died earlier in the season. How old is his kids? Like 22 now, right? Well, he was born in 95, 96. Yeah, 96, we should get him on the show. You'd be a catching prospect. prospect. <laughs> Tori is a good catcher. Yeah, we should see, we should see how, uh, how young Tori is de- developing in, uh, in his adolescence. See, see what's going on there. I'll look that up. But we'll get, Are we confirmed get it was of, uh, a boy? No, actually. No, I think it was a girl, actually. Actually, I want to say he did it. have a daughter, yeah. Yeah, because there was a scene. Oh, yeah, so a couple, a couple scenes here. Uh, that that I had some that were very confusing to me. Just One, a couple. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, I'll, I'll name three that I think we need that need to be discussed. Um, one, the Doc Gooden shower scene. Yeah, <laughs> that was the Doc worst Gooden scene in the whole movie. Scene. Like, what in the God's name is happening here? What what made this okay for someone to say this is what we should do? Doc Gooden is going to be in the shower, the team shower, practicing his his mechanics in the shower while all the other guys are like swoon over together over like a railing watching him <laughs> in his mechanics like for an extended period of time you're liable it's, to slip it's just weird like the whole thing was just a very strange scene that was the first one well, they had to yeah. set up they had to set up the no hitter they had to set up the whole storyline with his dad being sick and then doc going out there pitching the no hitter so let's set it up in the shower uh, before yes. we get into that one. What the other, the other place, one, what better place showers, <laughs> the team shower, it's bonding. You're, vul- I get you're it, yeah. vulnerable. You're naked. Yeah. You do a lot of thinking <laughs> lot of, in the shower. A lot of emotions. A lot of emotions are happening. Breaking down yeah. all of your emotions right ran now. high for doc there. It's the, where the I practice my, it's where I practice my singing. It's where doc practices his pitching. Yes. It makes sense. Yes. So the other one was the handoff between the sister and the, the brother of the phone from the balcony. I don't know if any of you, if you caught this, but from the balcony to where he was sitting, it looked like down in a, in a, in a sunken room, but it would look like it was on the first floor. She was talking and then handed him the phone and he just grabbed it. Like it was like, they were like two feet apart, but they were actually a floor away from each other. Well, Frank Torrey's eight foot six. I mean, he has to be, <laughs> he has to be at least 12 feet tall. For him to make the exchange, that okay. it was baffling. So that's a that was a minor that's a minor like movie movie issue you have. It, okay, it killed me. 
<laughs> it killed me. Okay. What was the third? The third one was when he got home from the long road trip with, and he opens the door to the baby, wakes the baby up. The baby practically waves to him, <laughs> opens the door for the baby. The baby I says, the, kid, the baby says who, clo- the who closed tonight, dad? The baby's already yeah. talking at, at four dad, months Dad, why'd you open the door and wake me up? And then he goes into his, his, uh, his bedroom and the wife's there with the lights on. He's like, oh, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to wake you up. The lights are on. <laughs> It's obviously she's not sleeping, really. It's just, it's all flawed. I can't handle it. Spoken like a newborn father, for sure. I I can't handle the the lack of details. It's such an epic flick. So you're you're spot on. They they obviously did not hire a production assistant, especially one associated with sports in any way, or maybe even with baseball. They wanted to strike on the Joe Torrey story, which was an amazing story, as we've preached already and people already know but the little things like you said you know there's little things i think we both we all had them in the notes the the brawl in seattle they had outdoors yes thank you that pissed me off so they it was (laughs) in seattle and they have an outdoor stadium it's a freaking kingdom how do you how do you fuck that up (laughs) Uh, and sorry sorry brian i don't know if you can swear on your podcast we can bleep it We're, we're about the same as you guys where you throw one in maybe an episode uh, we, uh, the other one that, that got me, and I know I'm sure a lot of plenty of Yankee fans or older Yankee fans were upset was seeing number 15 worn on a Jersey and 42 mm-hmm. with a white guy, right? 42 was, was, was a white guy was wearing 42. There, there was, there were just a lot of details that were completely yeah. missed. 15. Um, I didn't catch the 15. So someone was wearing Thurman Munson's Jersey. Yeah. That's bad. Yeah, I actually Thurman, I saw 15 and then I saw an outfielder was wearing number 46, which at the time was Pettit and he was a pitcher. So obviously he wasn't playing the outfield unless I missed a game. Was there a game where Pettit played right field real quick? There no. was not. Oh, OK. Not, After so, Paul, he punched a cooler. They're like, gotta, Andy, can you get out there? So they they obviously had John Sterling and Michael Kay reenacting their calls, correct? Uh, some of those calls were were um, the original calls. I don't remember which ones were reenacted. They had other people calling okay well, so not did they Sterling. have impersonators i think they did for some of them it was confusing because it, some of them were i think the original calls and then that yes there were other people there were calls that were not either one of them i don't think it was them reenacting i well, think it was people trying to uh, reenact the call so that's what i thought too mm-hmm. michael k usually sounded like michael k but there were a couple points where i thought it was a sterling impersonator I think so, but they did have Sterling on uh, for a couple. I definitely heard Sterling a, a, a couple times, but obviously, you know, maybe there wasn't a clean clip on certain areas or whatever the case. Um, they had definitely someone else trying to do that. It was, it was very confusing. That, that's that's what I'll say in general of this movie. It was it was a confusing movie in some aspects. If you know the Yankees and and you know what actually happened uh, and you know some of these characters, <laughs> it was confusing. Well, the, the uh, thing, I mean, the thing with this though. Like you got to know your audience. So they're making a movie about Joe Torre. It, it's it's about his his life, his life growing up, the struggles he went through and overcame to win the World Series. Ninety percent of those people are going to be baseball fans. Maybe not Yankee fans, but baseball fans that are watching that movie. Like some random person who doesn't care about baseball is not going to watch that movie, even if it comes on on Showtime. Like they're going to switch the channel. So how do you not fact check this stuff? How do you not make sure you get these facts right? Because podcasts hadn't been invented yet, and they didn't think that anybody would be breaking down their film like we are right now. Are we, do you think we're the only people to ever break down this film? 
We may possibly, have that possibly. You know, you know I said I said possibly. to Scott last night. I was like, "There's some analytics nerd in Amazon being like, three people randomly at the same time have watched Joe Torre curveballs <laughs> along the way. What is going on?" And now they're about to have like, hopefully, many more people be like, "I got to see this thing." Yeah, and to be to be fair, the um, Brian, you were talking about the IMDb stars, and it didn't even get to Rotten Tomatoes. Is that right? The, the yeah. it did have five stars on Amazon. And then I went look back and at the rating. I'm like, how the how? It was two people, and and that's as far as I got. I didn't see if there was a written review or whatever. But there were multiple stars on there, and I saw that. I'm like, oh, what is this? I've never heard of this. This must be something. No. Was it Joe and Allie Tory? I think it was. <laughs> I think it was the Tory daughter that, that it was went the 22 year old Tory daughter. <laughs> they captured and, and her, her birth perfectly. Yeah, and her college roommate <laughs> were were the ones that reviewed this. Bottom line for this film, folks, it's you know 95 minutes long. If you do enjoy baseball, if you're a big Yankee fan, like a lot of you listeners probably are, you know you want to get a little nostalgic and and turn your brain off and just kind of enjoy a rehashing of the story of a Joe Torre story, a the '96 season. You really want to see Wade Boggs on that horse again. This is a movie worth watching. If you want to sit here and break down all the little things like we are right now and pick it apart, you're gonna hate the heck out of the film for sure. Or you'll love it because you'll see it as a comedy yes. and you know, <laughs> yes. actually actually see this movie for what it was, a very flawed rendition of the history. And by the way, Wade Boggs was not wearing the helmet on the reenactment either. Also pissed me off. <laughs> and the they horse. even were no filtering helmet. in so much real footage throughout, throughout the entire thing, especially towards the end. I feel like the last 20 minutes of the movie, 10 minutes of it were actual footage. Some of it was, some of it wasn't, some of it was, some of it wasn't. It was confusing. Again, like you're going to the real, I'm like that when they're showing some of the scenes, they, they did do some of the acting, like obviously the, the Paul O'Neill, uh, which I also laughed out loud and rewound three times so that I could watch it because I thought it was one of the funniest things I've ever seen. My wife had to look up the, by the way, my wife, my wife was watching this movie along with me as well. And I will say this, she enjoyed it (laughs) and probably because she likes like cheesy lifetime movies as well. This and was that's exactly a very what lifetime this movie. That's yeah. a good that's a good call by Ben. That's that's pretty much what it was. It was not like it was a very low budget, cheesy rendition and was the other thing about it, it was from nineteen what, ninety seven. So you're looking at this stuff and you're seeing like the 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 cl- the smoky um flashback scenes, like that's what tells you that it's a flashback. And so you have to take, I think, into the, the time frame of when it was done. And, you know, movies, bad movies at that point were very like that. A lot of them were very much like this. The, the difference is that we all know the details and we're, we're you know, too close some to of the situation to be analyzing yeah. a movie like this. Yeah. And it's like exactly. when they felt like you said, they mixed in, they went back and forth between real footage and reenacted footage. It's like uh, like Oliver Stone's JFK, like what's real, what's not real. It confuses the viewer. You can see the pitch in the studio when they pitch that. You know, we're going to have Tori come in and then there will be Tori and then he'll talk to camera, explain some baseball stuff to help people along the way. Then we're going to integrate. We're going to have the actual radio announcers call overlaying this scene as we're watching this. And then we're going to have actual footage back and forth as you go along. You can almost see the put, the pitch working in studio. But then when you actually put it on film, it obviously, in our opinions, didn't play out. Yeah. Execution certainly was missed, I'd say. I'd say this they missed was- them. Mr. Released Mark. October seventeenth of ninety seven, so we'd a have to year, check our a dates. A year later, that's like the a year later, basically every after the Yankees lost to the Indians in the ninety seven playoffs, and they're like, all right, they're going to be pissed off. Let's let's hit them with this movie. It'll cheer them up. I think they lost to the Indians on the fifteenth, and they said, oh, let's wow. cheer them up and make a movie in two days. Nice, and that's yes, what they did. Yeah, I think it was all put together in forty eight hours. 
So they called Servino and said, can we make a movie real quick tomorrow and put this out to cheer up the Yankee fans? Right. It was like like everyone was going through this movie like it was the table read. That was the first time they were reading these lines. I like that. I, I, if they did that, then then uh, then I'm okay with it. As because that they were just like, who's in New York right now? <laughs> Let's cast them. Who's in New York? They, the, all these people are in New York. Perfect. They're perfect. That guy's Wade Boggs. Never swung a bat. Never done anything athletic in his life. Perfect. I might watch the A Rod documentary a second time. I'm not watching this a second time. Agreed. I think this was my second time rewatching it just for this homework, just so we could chat about it. And I'm good. I'm good with two. Well, but yeah. we're encouraging everybody out there to go watch it. Again, I think it's one of those ones you can you can look at with a grain of salt and and watch. And uh, now that you know our feelings on it too, I think it's a it's a humorous way to pass time, you know. And then also relive for your own sake the the '96 uh, season in the championship. So that that that's my takeaway. Like that's why I don't I'm not mad that I watched it because no, it was about a great year it. and a great team. And the storyline is exactly, uh, you know, we knew the storyline. And then you get some good things about Tori, obviously, which, which are good to know. So your, your wives will love it. Exactly. Your wives will love it. And your son. And, and my one-year-old son <laughs> just claps at everything. If, if someone's clapping on, on, uh, on the TV, So this is really uh, a niche audience we're going for. Uh, as long as the, the guy is a fan of the Yankees and right. they're married with a one-year-old, then right. it's really, that's, that's, who that's their target demographic. And their wife likes Lifetime movies, bad Lifetime movies. I don't know if there's good Lifetime movies, but bad Lifetime movies specifically. I don't, so, I have not go, seen folks. a good Lifetime movie. There you go. Oh, bite your tongue. Hey, during Christmas season? Are you serious? Yeah. There's some classics, Andrew. Come on. Get I'll with have it. i to go check it out. <laughs> All right. That's going to wrap up our Joe Torrey curveballs along the way. Uh, take two podcast listeners. If you're baseball fans, just in general, please jump over to the Bronx pinstripe show and check them out because these boys are very well knowledge with the Yankees, but they also do talk actual baseball every now and then. And occasionally during football season, they'll even talk football. Although I don't agree with either of their football fandoms, uh, <laughs> but check out the Bronx pinstripe show. You can find them on iTunes and all of your other uh, podcasting platforms. Gentlemen, thanks for jumping on. I hope to get you back on and talk maybe some better baseball movies along the way. Yeah, Brian, thanks, man. It was a, it was a lot of fun, and uh, I, even the bad ones, I still enjoy breaking them down. I think I, I agree. I think that baseball and boxing makes the two best sports movies, so there, there's a lot of baseball movies that are actually worth our time that we can go through, and uh, would love to come back and talk about it. Thanks again. If I can give a, if I can give a teaser. Yeah, go if ahead. I give a quick, quick teaser, too. We had thrown out there watching The Babe, and I did rewatch that. And I'm I'm mad at both of you that we were not reviewing that because I had to watch <laughs> that garbage right now. Okay, that's, that's why I, I was I was kind of putting my foot down on that one. That one I, I knew I remember that one being really bad, and uh, and the fact that I hadn't seen this Tory one, I'm like maybe it's bad, but I haven't seen it yet. So uh, you know that's that's where I that was my input on that one. <laughs> I do love John Goodman, but not enough to rewatch The Babe. Uh, awesome. I watched. It was horrible. <laughs> <laughs> All right. All right. Thanks, gentlemen. Hey, guys. Thanks for listening to the Bronx Pinstripe Show. Make sure you find us on iTunes and subscribe so you can get all new episodes directly onto your phone. If you do like the show, we'd love for you to take a minute and give us a five-star rating and review in iTunes. It really helps us out and allows us to create more shows. We're on Twitter at Bronx Pinstripes and the same on Facebook. You can always find us there talking Yankee baseball. Thanks again, guys, for your support. Really appreciate it, and go Yankees.